Thank you, Dave. The team, that was great. Again, like last Sunday morning, you'll notice that all the songs, once you hear the message, tie in together with what it is that we're about to share. Happy Father's Day, guys. Hope you had a great day already. Breakfast in bed, the whole deal, right? <laughs> My little girl said to me this morning, that's today? I said, yeah, honey, it is. How many of you have to work on Father's Day? Oh, just me. Don't feel bad. I'm here. Glad you are, too. One of those awkward moments sometimes when you're greeting people, when they say Happy Father's Day to you, most of the time I know their dads, so I can say it back. That awkward moment is when you're not sure, and I know some of you have already found that out this morning, you're not sure what to say. And of course, when you say it to a mom who just simply says Happy Father's Day, it's kind of weird, but we did all of that this morning, I'm sure, at some point or the other. For most of it is, is a day of celebration. What you need to remember every once in a while on these kinds of days like Mother's Day, not everybody sees it as a happy day. Some have recently lost a dad. Some have incredibly painful memories about their father. They don't ever call them dad. They will mention my father, and you can tell sometimes the difference between that relationship. So I, I want to remind you of that so that we're sensitive to those around us. Some do have incredible experiences with their dad, and sometimes they're a little bit painful for those who have kids who are far away, either from God or them. This is the day where they remember that, and they would love to have a son or a daughter call them up and say, Happy Father's Day, and, and they're not going to get it. I called mine first thing this morning uh, to make sure. I don't know how many more I'm going to get. He's going on 90, so you only have a few of those. And, uh, but not everybody's going to get that today. So I'm just saying that to be sensitive to the people around you, sensitive to those you may see one way or the other. For most of us in the room, it really is a, an incredible day, a day of celebration, a day of family memories. There's a lot to celebrate. Now, for some in our audience, you've had family celebrations for the last couple of weeks. You've had sons and daughters graduate, some that you didn't believe they would graduate. You kept praying. They would graduate. You went to their graduation, and when they came down off the stage, you just wanted to make sure it was signed. Any of you have any? No, don't even raise your hand on that one. Any of you here this morning have recently graduated from high school? Would you stand for a moment? I want to see. I'm going to go all the way through the list, so stay standing. Anybody here graduate from high school? All right. Anybody from college? Stay standing. Anybody graduate from college? How about master's degrees? There we are. Master's degrees. We got high school, master's degree. Anybody? Anybody earn their doctorate? All right. Congratulations for that accomplishment. Congratulations. Let me pray with you. God, obviously, you know the next step of their lives. For some, it's a career. For others, it's the next step in their journey educationally. And so I thank you for their families, the support they've had to get to this step in their journey. I pray that you will continue to bless them as they move on to that next step, whatever that may be. May they seek your face, your direction, the encouragement of family and friends. And I trust that they incredibly have enjoyed the experience and look forward to what it is they're going to learn out of these next chapters and next phases of their lives. Thank you for the family and friends who supported them down through the years, who've encouraged them and loved them and prayed for them and over them. And I pray that as they watch that event take place, those 
few seconds in that moment that they enjoyed it to the absolute fullest. And we'll remember it for a long time to come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Congratulations. Congratulations all the way around. Man. She also got engaged, so it was a kind of a dual experience. We're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation this morning. You're in Revelation chapter 12. Now, I said to you last Sunday morning, this is Father's Day, and I'm going to stay in the book of Revelation. It just happened to be that what it is that we're about to talk about this morning does and can tie into Father's Day, and so I wanted to do that. I wanted to stay in the flow. For those of you who read it, you certainly may have thought, what on earth is he going to do with this section of Scripture? How in the world is he going to tie it in? This is that cosmic clash between good and evil, between God and Satan, which has obviously gone on forever, still continues to this day. You have sermon notes in your bulletin this morning as well. Now, in Revelation chapter 12, it's a battle on an enormous scale. If you read maybe for the first time or maybe you're just coming into faith, I had an experience last Sunday morning, an experiment on Sunday morning to find out where everybody's at in their journey with God and their journey with the Word of God. And it's pretty diverse on a Sunday morning with those who have been in the Word forever or for years and others who are just trying to discover what the Word of God is all about. And so our diversity on Sunday morning is pretty wide. And I try to do my best to shoot somewhere toward the middle so that those of you who know all of this aren't bored and those of you who don't know any of this are kind of enticed and intrigued to want to know more. This is one of those chapters that in and of itself won't make sense, although it does within context of good versus evil, but it is a behind the scenes of two things. One, the Christmas story. I mean, y'all have Christmas in July somewhere, right? You've all heard of that? Well, this is Christmas in June. And this scene here in Revelation 12 depicts behind the scenes to the Christmas story. It also, if you start reading the book of Genesis, right? God's creative wonder. God is incredibly creative. And every day, this is great. This is awesome. This is wonderful. This is good. God's blessed me, and I've been able to travel around the world. I'd agree with him. This is a beautiful world. And then he got to creating man and said, not good. And you women would say, he can do better than that, so he made you. It takes a while to get over that. Oh, there you go. You got that. Then he created a woman. He said, I'm not done yet. The creative process isn't over. And he comes to us guys and say, wow, do I have a gift for you or what? And Adam would say, this is awesome. And I would agree. As that process begins to unfold and sin enters the world, if you're reading that for the first time and you see that serpent kind of slip in and slither in and tempt Eve to take a bite from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you, you've got to wonder if you're reading all this for the first time, where did he come from? I mean, how all of a sudden is he in this story? Well, Revelation 12, Ezekiel, Isaiah kind of unpack that story, but this is one of those. It tells you what happened before what you see in the book of Genesis, and it's here in this context. Now, here it's a battle on an enormous scale. For some of us, when we think of good and evil, we think of the guy in a white hat, the guy in a black hat, a knight in shining armor, that black knight, whatever that may be. 
But it's a lot bigger than that and certainly more sinister than that. Now, the existence of evil, which is what I'm going to talk about this morning, doesn't surprise any of us. There's no one in here that says, evil, really, around us? I've never seen that. We see it all the time. War, terrorism, school shootings, evil and domestic violence in the home. We have so many police officers in our in our building and in our church context, and I've talked to a lot of them, one of their biggest fears is going to a domestic situation. Not being in a gun battle with bank robbers, but going into a domestic situation. And if you've kept up with any of the news, you recognize how uncertain it is for so many of these men and women. Violence in the media, in sports, cage fighting, one of the most unbelievable to me. Two guys get in a cage, and now sometimes two women, and beat the living daylights out of one another. And we call that a sport. Now, it's not hockey. It's actually, because in hockey, they do that as well. But they get in a cage and beat the living daylights out of one another, and we call that a sport. People pay for that. How does anybody not know there's going to be fallout from those who want to emulate that and think that's really cool to watch. Even when movies has been around for decades. I haven't been to theater since the late 70s, so I'm not, but I see the advertisements all the time. I don't watch movies at home, but, uh, so I haven't been there a long time, but you see all those advertisements on TV, and then you'll see that wee little box. Almost you have to have a magnifying glass to see it, but it'll give the rating, and then it will tell why. Some of the ones that I've seen for our ratings say, disturbing images, gruesome violence. And people pay to see that. None of you do, I know. But people pay to see that, and we wonder, why is there so much evil in this world? We're buying it, and we're paying for it. Now, some of you are thinking, this is your Father's Day message? You're kidding. It is, because in a world filled with evil, our families need someone to stand in the gap, right? In a world filled with evil, and there's nobody in here that's surprised by anything that I just described. I could have gone on for 25 minutes about evil, and I certainly don't want to do that, because I don't want to give Satan any more glory than he already thinks he has. There's nobody surprised by that, but in a world filled with that kind of evil that is simply everywhere we turn... Families need someone to stand in the gap. And I've got it in your sermon notes this morning. To fight for them, to pray with them, to pray over them, and to lead the way. And all of those are a little bit different. To fight for them, to pray with them, to pray for them. With them is them sitting in the room, praying with them on a regular basis, whether at a meal or before they go to bed. Well, our lives are so busy. Not for that. They can't be too busy for that. If they are, they're too busy. Or to pray over them as they go out. We continue to pray hedge protection. We name them by name, our kids, our son-in-laws, our grandsons. We we name them by name. God, surround them with your angelic host today. They're about to get on the bus. When I I didn't learn things till sixth, seventh, eighth grade that now kids are learning on the bus. It's kindergarten and first grade. Y'all know that, right? And it scares sometimes the daylights out of you. So we pray for them. God put a hedge of protection about them. Pray over them, for them, and lead the way. Now, you can say, okay, seriously, in an evil world, what can I do? It is what it is, which is a really bad answer. It is what it is to that kind of essence is really a bad answer. 
Because your answer should be, in a world that evil, and many of it and most of it, I can't stop. I want to be the guy that stands in the gap. I want to be the guy that prays over them. I want to be the guy that prays for them. I want to be the guy that prays over them, that names them by name, that encourages them. Now, every Father's Day beforehand, somewhere along the way, I've got guys who come to me and say, why do you elevate moms and beat us up on Father's Day? I can do it for a couple of reasons. One is that God elevates them, and secondly, he challenges us as men. And thirdly, I'm one of you. I am a guy. So I don't feel like I shouldn't say anything to hurt anybody's feeling because I get as challenged with this as you. But I'm just saying, guys, if we don't, who will? Right? If we don't do this, then who's going to do it? In many cases, it's, it's the wives, it's the mom. We've abdicated that responsibility to them. And not here, but there are a lot of places where guys have done that. And there's wives in the room and say, seriously, dude, I'd love to have a husband that would do that. I don't, and I'm so sorry. It's going to have to be you. Maybe it's a granddad in a room. I love being a pap. I mean, <laughs> I love being a pap and being able to pray for them, over them, and, and, and lead them and have fun with them and all those kind of things. So maybe there's not a dad in a room in your, your family that's going to do that. So you're the grandfather. Man, take that responsibility. Enjoy it to the fullest. It's really expensive. I told you before. But enjoy it to the fullest. And help out that gal who sits in an audience like ours, a lot of them, who doesn't have anybody that's going to fight for them and fight for their kids and pray over them. Pray with them and pray for them. And it can be an incredible experience. Someone said, I, I should have put it in your notes, heroes used to make history. Now they make CDs and touchdowns. Now, I could have added a ton of other things to that. but Heroes used to make history. Now they make CDs and touchdowns and whatever else. And we glorify that. I'm encouraging you to be a hero in the battle for your family. In an evil world, fight for your family. Because I'm telling you, it's a fight worth fighting. Now, when you read sections of Scripture like this in, in chapter 12, it's like reading something out of Greek mythology or Star Wars or whatever. I, I don't watch a ton of stuff, but I'm, I'm downstairs a couple of weeks ago, and it was one of those boring afternoons where there's nothing on, not even a good Hallmark movie. And, and I saw Lord of the Rings, and I've never seen it before. So I'm watching a, a middle of t 10 minutes of one of them. Number one, it was ridiculously gruesome. And number two, it was ridiculously unreal. If you like Lord of the Rings, I'm sorry. But when I saw some of the creatures they're depicting, I'm going, this guy read Revelation. Right? I mean, when you see some of the creatures that they portray in that, you think, okay, th these things that we're reading here aren't that far off. All right? Now, you got to remember when John is writing to people, they're familiar with Greek mythology, characters like Zeus and Apollos. I said a few weeks ago, there are a variety of interpretations and understanding and a lot of symbolism, and, and, and I'm not going to answer every single question as to what every one of them mean. I made a decision to back off every uh, mysterious element, try more to look at the lessons we learn than trying to explain every little nuance that's been debated forever. Plus, to be really honest with you, I don't want to join with the rank of pastors and prophetic teachers who made predictions and forced interpretations and, and have been wrong. Why would I want to do that? Commentator's commentary in your, in your sermon notes. 
In biblical interpretation, there's a natural instinct to want to figure out as many details within the text as possible. The book of Revelation defies that. It's way easy to overread or overinterpret some of the meanings. Now, remember I said to you last Sunday morning, Revelation is written in a little bit of a different form than what you and I are mostly familiar with. Those of us who live in the Western world, this side of the hemisphere, uh, and especially in North America, uh, look at life from point A to point B. We see it like this. So we'll see a timeline creation till the end of time in Revelation 22 and God's creation of a new world and all of that. So it just goes this way. Eastern world sees it as a cycle. Everything is the cycle of life. The biblical model, in many cases, especially Revelation, doesn't look this way or even in a cycle of life. It kind of looks this way. From one event to the next to the next, a little bit backwards now, seeing this event in light of that. Revelation 12 goes back and describes what happened behind the scenes in Genesis, for heaven's sake. So it kind of looks this way through all of those events. And allows us to understand it. In chapter 12, he talks about this conflict between God and Satan. Ultimately, God wins. Because God wins, so will we if we put our faith and trust in him. But what we need to know is the battle is real. Now, when I teach, I teach from a biblical worldview. Worldview is that system in your sermon notes that we develop for explaining the world around us and our experience in it. Spiritism is that common belief that everything in the world, animal, vegetable, or mineral, shares some kind of spiritual power. The natural world that you and I live in, mostly in the Western world, is that naturalistic, materialistic, scientific, rationalistic society, which is what is real is only by what we sense in our senses. If I can't see it, hear it, touch it, or smell it, it can't be real. We teach and believe in a biblical worldview, which is in your sermon notes. God is alive. God is active. He's all-knowing. He's not out there somewhere, like Bette Midler sings, hoping to see the world unfold and just watches it as if he's disinterested. We have a God who's actively involved and still rules today. Faith is essential to our lives. Christ lived a sinless life on earth. Eternal salvation is, is possible only through him. What he did on a cross in his grace, not of works. Scripture is true in what it teaches Contains moral absolutes in a world that has none. We believe the scripture is what it is that teaches us moral absolute. Personal responsibility to share our faith. And Satan is a real enemy. Not mystical, not out there somewhere, real. Revelation 12. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with a sun, the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars on her head, was pregnant, cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky, flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled to the desert, place prepared by God, where she might be taken care, where he might be taken care of, or she might be taken care of for 1260 days. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought back. He wasn't strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. 
hurled to the earth and his angels with him. That's again that Christmas story, what took place before you see what you see in Genesis. Then heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and kingdom of God and the authority of Christ is ours. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone on to you, filled with fury because he knows that his time is short, short relative to eternity. And when the dragon saw that he had been hurled from the earth, he pursued the woman who gave birth to the male child. Woman was given <coughs> two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she'd be taken care of for a time, times and a half out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water from a river to overtake the woman and swept her away from the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth, following the river and the dragon who spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman, went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Do you ever in your life had a Father's Day message out of that section of Scripture. And when you read it, and I've read it a hundred times, you're going, oh my goodness. But that is that descriptive, biblical symbolism of all that took place prior to the fall of Satan in Genesis that took place again. The imagery is pretty easy to figure out, as obscure as it may be. The male child is Jesus, the pregnant woman is is many say either specifically Mary or Israel, and some even believe it's Eve. Remember that fall? And after the fall when God promised that her seed, the Messiah, would come and crush the head of the enemy? That's what it's referred to in here. Uh, Satan tried to destroy Christ at his birth, remember? When Herod found out that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, gave orders to kill all the Boys in Jerusalem, two years age and under, when he learned what the Magi had come to find out. And so, again, what you're seeing described here is what you see played out in the book of Matthew. Satan tried again to get Jesus to change his focus in Luke chapter 4. Trust in God. Jump off the mountain. He'll protect you. Or you trade all the power that you have. And you give it to me and I'll give you the world, he said to Jesus. And Jesus said, no, I already have all authority, and all power. And that became the ultimate defeat of Satan when Jesus went to the cross. He certainly, certainly Satan thought he won. Jesus rose from the dead and said, I won. Now the frustration and confusion comes when we talk about having Satan lost and the victory belonging to Jesus and the battle still seeming to rage. Why, why is that? Well, one of the best explanations I heard is what happened in World War II between D-Day and V-Day. For all intents and purposes, World War II was over, and the Allies won on D-Day, June 6, 1944. Everyone knew that. But it wasn't until V-Day, May 7, 1945, that the shooting stopped. More people died between D-Day and V-Day than at any other time. In Christ's resurrection, the victory is ultimately secure, but until the end of time and the ultimate destruction of Satan, he's still going to do his damage. And Revelation 12 says he knows his time is short, so he's going to pull out all the stops 
to get you to succumb to him and walk away from God or not be enticed to be drawn to God. What does he do? Now, Scripture does tell us we fight three enemies. The world, its system that says a number of things. I'll tell you a couple of them. The flesh, that part of you that says, Is that, I don't want to do the right thing. Something inside me that just doesn't always want to do the right thing. And you face the enemy who certainly tries to entice you to do the wrong thing. He deceives. You see it in Revelation 12 and 13. He lies. He lies about who God is. He lies about who he is. He lies about where you're going to find life and satisfaction. He's going to tell you it's in things. It's in stuff. It's in pleasure. It's in the enticement of the eyes, especially the guys. We are visually stimulated. Women are emotionally stimulated. And he's going to come at us, men, through the visual eyes, through what we see. And, and he's going to hammer it with us. Now, none of you, not a one of you, I have to describe how he comes at us as men with the eyes all over the place in every seductive way he possibly can. And he's going to tell us and tell you that's what you need. You don't have it at home. You, you want that. And he'll just do it in a hundred different ways and try to get us to believe that that's okay or that stuff's okay. Or if I've, as long as I've got stuff, the guy with the most toys wins. The chef, a, a couple of weeks of interesting article, the chef, how, how do you pronounce his name, Bourbon? What is it? Bourdain? Okay. Not bourbon? Okay. Not that I would know. Just Fascinating article about him that said he had absolutely everything. Anything he ever wanted, anything he could have, everything he ever wanted, he had it all. But deep down in his soul was empty. Without Christ, that is absolutely the description of all humanity. But the enemy will say, well, you don't need religion. You don't need a relationship with God. As long as you have stuff and things and some accolades and a nice house and, and all of that. And God says, I, just, I love you enough to tell you, you're never going to find real satisfaction in all of that stuff. Real life, genuine life, eternal life, fulfilling life is found in him and him alone. And the enemy will never tell you that. He'll use intimidation. Sometimes I've heard it said, well, how am I ever going to win this battle? Man, I've tried so hard to lick this or get over that or not let this habit defeat me. I'm, I'm just, I'm never going to make it. And he'll come in and say, you're right. You've tried, you've gone to AA, you've gone, and he'll list the things and you're just not going to make it. You just might as well give in. He'll use deception to entice us into doing what is wrong. He'll use intimidation to keep us from doing what is right. I'll give you an example, peer pressure. Sometimes peer pressure causes you to do the wrong thing, and sometimes it keeps you from doing the right thing. He'll accuse you. You failed so many times in all of these areas. You call yourself a Christian, and you did that. And he'll keep hammering you with the past and, and, and defeat and all. He battles us constantly in these areas. Victory is in Christ, but he recognized that his time is short. 
And he's out to honestly, as best as he possibly can, to destroy us. Especially for those of us who are a little bit closer to Jesus. We, we recognize who he is, what he is. And he's going to try to pull us back. And for those who have flat out committed their lives to Christ and be an example to other people, and he's after you like you can't imagine, because if he pulls you down, he recognizes the domino effect that comes with that. He's out after you as dads over your home, as husbands over your home. He doesn't want you to lead your family well. He doesn't want you to succeed in leading your family well. And any failure... Any failure at all, and you're going to have a lot of them. I said to my wife, I, I get so sick and tired of giving you so much ammunition because I have done so many stupid things along the way. You know, some of the dumber things, I got a, I got a top 20 list. Just dumb things. Why did I think that was going to work? Or why did I try that? I'm Tim the Toolman Taylor. I'm talented. And he's going to try to say to you, you, you're just not going to make it. You're not going to be the leader. I mean, look around your church on Sunday morning, brother. You're not going to be one of them. You're not going to be like, and now he'll, he'll remind you of somebody that you think is a spiritual giant. Don't, man, don't buy the lie. He can intimidate you. He can humiliate you. He can beat you down. But I'm telling you, in Christ, everything we sang this morning, you can be victorious. You can be the warrior for your family. Jesus comes to set us free. The fascinating thing in your sermon notes about Christ's power over Satan is that it wasn't only reserved for that final day, but available to us on earth here and now. To deliver us from the power of sin in your sermon notes, but we have to allow him to do it. We have to allow him to do it. Jesus, I want to be the warrior for my family. I want to battle. The world is filled with so much evil. And it, it's not, by the way, it, it's not, I, I hate to say that it's not going to get better. I hate to say that. I'm not a doomsdayer guy. But it's not going to get any less evil. And desperately, look, we got so many weapons. I listed some of them for you. In your bulletin, the word, prayer, armor of God, in Ephesians 6, the blood of Christ, the name of Jesus, faith, the authority of Christ to, in 2 Corinthians, pull down strongholds, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Back to Revelation 12, guys. I know your name's not Michael, it's John, it's Andrew, it's Nate, it's whatever that may be, it's Frank, whatever that is. I'm just saying, man... Be the Michael for your family. Be the warrior for your family. He took him on. Now, he took him on with a sword. You don't, you don't have one of these. You don't need one of these kind of thing. You've got, you've got the ultimate sword right here in your hand. You've got the best sword right here in your hand. Just be the Michael for your family. To say in a world filled with evil that I cannot stop. But I'm telling you. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my kids. I'm going to pray a hedge of protection about them. I'm going to lead the way. I'm going to show them what a godly man or a godly individual looks like. So that at least in the midst of all of that confusion that they see on a regular basis, they can say, man, my dad. My dad. And then underneath that can be a, a host of other things.
Now, again, I know there are some of you gals here saying, you have no idea, brother, how much I wish that I would have had a dad like that. So many guys, I'm sure, say the same thing. Or a husband like that. And I'm, I, I, I'm so sorry. I don't even know how to describe how sorry I am that you don't have that. But for those of you who do, man, pray for your husband. Pray that they will understand it and really battle for their family, battle for their kids, battle for their morality. Uh, you cannot just simply say it is what it is. It's just a dumb answer. You've got to be able to say, I get what's going on around me, but I'm telling you, I'm going to do my best. So if you're dead in the room, would you do me a favor and stand? If you're dead in the room, I want you to stand. There's a lot of people in this room we all can pray for, right? God, obviously, they're standing before you this morning. They recognize and understand the ultimate responsibility. I'm not sure where they're at in their relationship with you, but they've certainly heard the challenge of your word. And so, Father, I lift them up to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for them, for the call. Father, you have any, I, I know. <laughs> I know you know if in so many hundreds of other churches I asked for dads to stand, there'd be a half a dozen, and most of the ladies would, would just simply know they're the ones leading their family. But when I look around this room and I see so many men, oh, thank you, God, for CAC and for its influence and for men who come here and are part of the family of God, who worship and give you praise. So I lift them up to you this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of the cross that you will give them wisdom and discernment. Help them as they lead their family, as they fight the battle of the enemy to do the absolute best they know how with all the weapons that you've given us at our disposal. As they lead their family, pray with them, for them, for the next generation and the one after that. I thank you, God, for the challenges you give us. I don't shy away from them. I recognize how heavy the weight is at that. I recognize the weight I feel when I feel sometimes like a spiritual father for this thousand plus family. Thank you for that. I love being that. As we continue to follow after you and lead our families well in a world filled with evil, help us to stay strong and faithful and run to you every step of the way until we see you face to face and hear great job. Well done. Bless them, we pray, with a really great day. In the name of Christ, I pray. God bless you, gentlemen. Congratulations. Stand strong and firm. I can pray for you. Love to do that. Otherwise, God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.